Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. And I was actually, I guess, uh, stalking is the term of their Facebook. I was going through the church's Facebook page and I saw a post that I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, This is the the post directly from their Facebook page. What a service, 9 a.m. to 7.40 p.m. in the glory of God. And church, I am inspired. (laughs) That's about 10 and a half hours. I was doing the math for me to do 11 hours, and I think it came to about 25 sermons. So we're just going to go through all 25 this morning. So hold on, cancel your lunches. No. I do want to read this morning a passage that's being read by thousands of churches across the world, uh, and I believe that it's being read in heaven this morning uh, to Jesus himself. It says, after the Sabbath, this is Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Luke's account adds one of my favorite one-liners in all of Scripture. It says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Matthew says, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. Uh, I mentioned that we've been in the midst of a series called Encounters with Jesus. And what we've been doing is going through the Gospels and taking these specific encounters that people had with Jesus and looking at how their lives were changed by one single encounter. And uh, can I just tell you, that's what happens when you encounter Jesus. Your life uh, is changed forever. But what we've been doing is we've been kind of zooming in. Uh, And this morning we are going to do that again, but first I want to zoom out. Uh, I want to first just talk about uh, how incredible it is that the entirety of this book, the Bible, points to one man, Jesus Christ. And you say, of course it points to Jesus, it's the Bible, but it's actually not quite that simple. Uh, The Bible church, I believe... Uh, It's not antiquated or outdated or irrelevant. It is living and active uh, of utmost relevance to our lives today. I believe that this book is the greatest weapon we have in support of our faith. It's the greatest tool we have in defense of our faith. Because this book was written by, or it's 66 books written by about 40 different authors over a time frame of about 1,600 years, most of them before Jesus was born, yet they're all pointing to the person of Jesus Christ, either pointing forward to him or pointing back to him. Now, sometimes this foreshadowing pointing to Jesus was a little more vague. It wouldn't have been understood in the moment. Uh, For instance, in Genesis, after the fall, where God promises uh, to Satan, he says, one day the offspring of Adam and Eve will crush your head and and you will strike his heel. Uh, In the moment, you wouldn't have known that's referring to the Son of God. But in hindsight, we know that's exactly who it was referring to. 
Uh, or Abraham, when he's offering Isaac on the altar and God says, no, wait, I'm offering you a lamb. And he looks over and there's a lamb uh, that's entangled in a, in a bed of thorns. In the moment, Abraham wouldn't have thought, oh, that's referring to the Son of God. But in hindsight, we can see that is exactly what it's referring to. It's pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. However, in other instances, it's far more specific because the prophets began coming along and they began pointing to Jesus and saying uh, that this Savior who would come will be in the lineage of David. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born of a virgin. He'll do great miracles. Isaiah, about 750 years before Jesus was ever born, said when he would come, he'd be born of a virgin. He would do no violence, yet he would be tortured and disfigured so bad badly he would barely appear human. He said he would be rejected and suffer, and for our sins he would be pierced, raised, and lifted up. And now it's getting pretty specific about this coming Savior. Now, hindsight is 2020. Foresight is not 2020. Tomorrow, I can tell you what you wore on Easter. Yesterday, I couldn't have told you what you were going to wear today. It's incredible what's going on here, that over a span of 1,600 years, they are telling us exactly what this coming Savior would look like. And with each new prophecy, a little more is becoming clear about this Savior. Uh, have you ever seen those images that begin out of focus, and as it comes into focus, you figure out what it's talking about? Can you look at the person next to you and say, well, then it's your lucky day? Because we're going to look at a couple of them. I'll, I'll show the first one. This one's a warm-up for the second one. Go ahead with that first video. many of you thought snow cone? We got a few. Uh, when I was a kid, those were called gummy worms. As an adult, they're called cavity worms. <laughs> cavity worms are not as appealing and they don't taste as good. I'm just letting you know, if you're young, take your time. Enjoy the gummy worms. But this is what's kind of happening throughout the Old Testament is there are more and more prophecies about the coming Savior and it's becoming more and more clear who they're looking for and as it becomes more clear hope is being stirred up among the people hope is growing along with it uh, even in the darkest days of Israel's history people would find hope 
looking forward to the day that the Savior would come. In Micah chapter 2, Micah, or Micah chapter 7, uh, he was living in a day where he felt like he was the only uh, follower of God on the earth. I'll actually show you this, and I want you to see his hope here. In verse 2, he says, The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. But then he says this, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Now, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, and he said, In fact, this is my plans for my people. My plans for your life is that you would be full of hope. He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God's plan for you is that you would always be full of hope. In Romans chapter 15, Paul wrote that the God we serve is a God of hope. He said that my prayer for the church is that the church would be filled with hope. Part of God's plan for your life is that you would always have hope. With that being said, you should recognize that the opposite is also true. Part of Satan's plans for derailing you from living the life God has called you to is to steal your hope. If Satan can feed you these lies of hopelessness and get you to buy in that there's no hope for you, and there's no hope for your marriage, and there's no hope for your children, and there's no hope for your future, there's no hope for your soul. If, if Satan can get you to begin to give up your hope, the battle is halfway won. If you've ever found yourself in that place of hopelessness, you know that it is a dark place, and it's a sticky web to get out of. And if you're here this morning, and you find yourself in that place of hopelessness, understand that we serve a God of hope and that's never been his intention for you. His intention for you is that you would always be full of hope in Jesus Christ. But as we look at scripture and we go back to the Old Testament, what we find is with each of these prophecies about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, hope was being stirred up among the people. And by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies of what this coming Savior would look like. Now, I know most of you, and I couldn't tell you 300 things about any one of you. The only person I know 300 things about is my wife. And I don't mean to come off as like a super husband, but I tell her them every day. I say, I know you're beautiful. I know that you're smart. I know that you're right. Actually, <laughs> actually, that's the other 298. Just you're right, you're right, you're right. And if you're in a relationship, I just gave you the keys to a successful marriage. You're right. But what happens as we turn, return to the Bible is Jesus is born and there are these 300 prophecies about what it would look like. And Jesus begins checking the boxes of all of these prophecies, everything that they've been looking for. He was born in the line of David. Check. He was born in Bethlehem. Check. Born of a virgin. Check. He would be called a Nazarene, yet come out of Egypt. Check and check. And you can see it actually on multiple occasions in Scripture that people start looking at Jesus and saying, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah that we've been waiting on? Their hope is being stirred up 
inside of them. Again, it was about 700 years earlier that Isaiah said these words about Jesus or about the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 35, it's a, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. He said that God would come, and when he did, the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame uh, would leap like a deer, and the mute tongue would shout for joy. So when Jesus comes along and Jesus begins doing these miracles, people are excited for two reasons. One is obvious. The blind see and the deaf hear. The mute speak. The lame walk. Even the dead are raised to life. The kingdom of God is being revealed right in front of their eyes. But the second reason they're so excited is because every time he performs this miracle, they can check a box. Isaiah told me that that would happen with the coming Messiah. Oh, the blind can see, check. And the deaf can hear, check. And their hope is being stirred all the more. By the time we get to what we talked about last week, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the, the triumphant king riding on the back of a donkey, which, by the way, was another check of an Old Testament prophecy, we see that the people have fully given their hope over to Jesus Christ, and they are ushering him in and, and, and declaring him as their king. But what happens next for so many people is Jesus begins checking the boxes that they never wanted him to check. He begins checking those boxes that they had hoped were just metaphors or figures of speech. Because Isaiah said that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That he would be tortured and disfigured so badly that he would barely appear human. Again, that he would be rejected and suffer. And, and for our sins, he would be pierced and raised and lifted up. And this past Friday, Christians around the world remembered this happening. It's actually in that moment of Jesus on the cross that I want to look at our first encounter for the day. Encounters with Jesus in, in uh, Luke chapter 23. We'll start in verse 33. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. On the verse 38. There was written a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there, there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then here's the encounter. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There are kind of two things happening in this moment with Jesus on the cross. For many of his disciples, his friends, and his family, for many of his followers... The cross represents utter devastation. They had placed so much hope that this man was the Messiah, their coming Redeemer. And with him hanging on the cross dying, all hope is gone. But then we look at the thief who was next to him. 
The thief doesn't lose hope because Jesus is on, uh, on the cross next to him. The thief actually finds hope because Jesus is on the cross next to him. What was the difference between those whose hope was shattered and whose hope was restored? It was their understanding of what was taking place on the cross. This morning I'm going to ask you two of the most important questions anyone will ever ask you. And the first one is this, what is your understanding of what took place on the cross? When I was in school, I loved multiple choice. So I'm going to make it multiple choice. It's either nothing or everything. Either nothing took place on that cross other than a man dying, or everything took place on the cross. What is it for you? Was it nothing? Or was it everything? I was listening to a song this week, and I've heard the song a hundred times, but I've never heard the words until this week. It said, there's no taking back the cross, and there's no regretting what it costs. If you're in this place, you need to understand that Jesus doesn't see you in your mistakes and your weaknesses and wish that he could go take it back. The Bible says that it was when you were in the midst of your weakness and your sin that Jesus chose the cross for you. My prayer for you is that the cross means everything to your life. There's something else that I love about this encounter, and I've kind of already mentioned it. If it were any one of us on that cross, it would have been our final encounter. But church, there were Old Testament prophecies that hadn't been checked off yet. Like the one that says death would be swallowed up in victory. Check. The one that said that his bones would see no decay. Check. Isaiah 53 where it says, after he suffered, he would see the light of life. Check. And catch the next part. It says, by his knowledge, in other, in other words, by you knowing him, you would be justified, for he bore your iniquities. I want to look at one more encounter. This one takes place on the day of the resurrection. It's in Luke chapter 24. It says that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about how everything, about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. I want you to see that in verse 21 right there. 
past tense, we had hoped he was the one. In the Old Testament, their hope is growing and growing and growing and stirring. But for so many at the cross, their hope was crushed. It became a thing of the past. But the Bible says that what's happening in this moment is the fact is Jesus had risen. But this man was living with the perspective that Jesus had not risen. How many of us today live our lives and you would think that we don't even think he's been risen? Can I tell you, maybe you don't believe it, but it's a fact. Truth is not relative. Truth is that the grave stands empty, church. The Bible says they, as they continued with Jesus, remember, they were downcast and they were without hope. But as they continued with Jesus, uh, it says that their hearts began stirring uh, or burning within them is what the Bible says. And they recognize that he is risen and they run and they tell the disciples he is risen. So they go from this place of downcast hopelessness to their hearts are burning and they're telling everyone he is risen. Now, what's the difference between the beginning and the end. It's their understanding of what has taken place in the tomb. The second most important question today that I want to ask you is what is your understanding of what took place in the tomb? I'm going to go ahead and make it multiple choice again. The answer is nothing or everything. Either nothing took place, his body was stolen or he's decayed away, or it's what the Word of God says, that he is risen and he is alive today. We talked last week a little bit about the, the authority that Jesus had on the earth. In John chapter 2, the Bible says that the Jews asked Jesus, what will you do to prove your authority? You know what Jesus said? He said, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. Do you know what he meant by that? Every word I speak hangs upon the resurrection. If I'm still in the grave after I die, you can forget it all. But if the grave stands empty, I have proven the authority of every word that I have spoken. When I say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, if the grave is empty, do away with it. Oh, I'm sorry. If the grave is empty, you can stand on that church. The authority of every word he ever spoke is proven in the empty grave. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you. If the grave stands empty, you can bet on it, church. When Jesus said, ask anything in my name, and it'll be done for you. Every word he ever spoke was validated in the empty grave. And they went from this place of hopelessness to a place where, do you know what? Peter says about him. 
1 Peter 1.3, he said, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Do you know what that means? It means a hope that never, ever dies. And God's plan for your life is that you would always have this living hope. Renee, can you go ahead and come? I don't know where you are. Can you stand with me for a few minutes, church? Uh, my, uh, I don't know, my aging has not been very proficient with newer technology. It took me a long way to say that. For the longest time, actually, up until about two years ago, I had a flip phone, and finally, uh, I couldn't see emojis or anything like that. Renee would make fun of me. So finally, I upgraded and got the, the smartphone. And well, uh, it's been a couple months ago now. Uh, we decided it was time to, to get another smartphone to, to upgrade from from the old one. The problem is, even though I had this case on the phone and I had a screen protector that was supposed to protect it, uh, within a couple of weeks of owning it, it was completely shattered. The screen protector did nothing. I, I want my money back, but I'm, we'll go into that after the service. So Emily's at the store and then she says, uh, I've got great news. Uh, you can actually get a new phone for free. All you have to do is turn in the old phone as long as the screen's not shattered. I said, um, that could be a problem because the screen's been shattered for years. Everything I look at on this phone is through the lens of uh, brokenness and, and com complete shatteredness. And she said, well, have you tried lifting off the screen protector? I said, well, I've, I've never taken it off. And I took the screen protector and, and I lifted it off. And the phone hadn't been touched. The only thing that was shattered was the screen protector. For years I had been walking around looking through the lens that everything is shattered and everything is broken and in a moment it was removed. if you have never made the decision in your life that the cross is everything and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything what is being offered to you this day is to take away that lens of everything being broken everything is shattered the Bible says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new is here and someone this morning needs to make that decision the cross means everything. I'm going to ask you if you would close your eyes, every person in this room. And you say, Pastor, I don't know what the cross and resurrection have meant to me my whole life, but I know that they don't mean everything. I know that, 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 that I have not given it all to Christ. this morning and you say today is the day today is the day 
is the day where we take off that broken and shattered, uh, shattered lens and give it to Christ. If that's you, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray over you. Would you lift your hands in the air for just a moment? Lord, you see every hand in this place. I'm going to ask one more question. If you're here and you say, Pastor, that brokenness and that hopelessness that you spoke of, I'm in that sticky web this morning. I'm in that dark place where I have lost hope for my children, for my marriage, for my future, whatever it may be, for my finances, I have lost hope. And this morning, I want to find that hope again. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hands into the air? Father, I pray that Every decision that has been made in this place is not based on an emotional moment, based on a decision of the heart to make you the center of our lives. off the screen. Make this moment where they come from your heart. Lord, we welcome you in this place. Receive our praise as we pray. Uh, if you lifted your hands this morning or if you need prayer for any reason, I'm going to ask actually if we could have our prayer team uh, just up at the, the drum cage after service. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming this morning. Uh, I want to remind you that next week he's risen too. So uh, we can celebrate him every day. And uh, I want you to leave this place and I want you to tell somebody outside of this church, uh, this church that I went to an Easter party today. Can we do that? All right, Lord, go with us, I pray. Uh, I pray that you would be the center of it all, God, that your cross and your resurrection would be everything to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.